Hey, this is Pastor Mark. You do not want to miss this week's podcast. You're going to laugh till you cry, but it's good tears. They're good tears. So, man, tune in. Listen to this podcast. It's going to inspire you, encourage you, and, and prayerfully help bring change that you desire in your life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning. Good morning. Stand with me, if you would, please. Welcome all of you watching online and those of you here for the first time. We do this confession to remind us of exactly what we want to, to happen today. So uh, it's just good to get it in our heart. Say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what the Bible says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God, and I boldly confess. My mind is alert. My heart is receptive, and I'll never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it's kind of one of those um, times of year where you, as a pastor, you kind of get caught with, okay, we got Christmas, we're supposed to do a Christmas message, and, and this really kind of is, but kind of isn't. Uh, I've been doing this a long time, and, and it's, it's uh, I've never been a real guy about tradition, I, and maybe that's good or bad, but I've always just tried to follow what I feel God has put in my heart to do, and, and this will kind of mesh with with uh, Christmas time, but I began this series on, on judgment, and the reason I, I think it's apropos to talk about it now is because a lot of people's perception of Jesus is, is that he is a killjoy. That was my perception prior to getting saved. It's like, we just don't mean to have any fun. Uh, and, you know, most church people didn't really look like they were having much fun. And, and then on Sunday morning, when you hear them get up and say, well, we got to go to church, well, who really wants that? I mean, you know, it's like, no, I get to go to church. You know, I have the opportunity to go worship and celebrate uh, year-round uh, the life and the birth and the resurrection and all, the, all that Jesus has done. Uh, but it gets really tricky because uh, this is the time of year when I think we start asking questions, what does this really mean? And why was Jesus born in a manger and not a mansion? And I have so many questions that I would love to ask God as to why he did the things the way he did. Now, uh, you know, if, if you really think about it, sometimes uh, a season like this brings us into a very introspective place. And we just start looking at things a little differently, hopefully a little deeper. Now, obviously, in a commercialized society, uh, there's so much focus on the gifts that we get and the gifts that we give and the, you know, the, the, the dinners that we have and in the family we get to see and all those things. And they're wonderful things. But I guess probably after over the years of studying theology, I've just had a lot more questions uh, than I do answers. And, you know, why do we celebrate the way we do? And what are the deeper issues of life and Christ coming the first time? And what will happen? How does that affect know uh my life and again I'm, i'll do my best to walk us through this but it, it is that time of year where for some people it's a great time it, it really is it's just you know maybe you, you've never had any drama uh, i'd like to know what planet you're from uh, <laughs> if you've never had any drama i would like to visit and probably get citizenship there uh because we live in a world that's probably more chaotic more in crisis than it's ever been in my lifetime and I think we're finally down to a place where we are realizing 
that this is really not a party issue as much as it is uh, a human slash God issue, and that uh, we we all kind of are selfish in our own ways, and hopefully we'll get free from that. But when I was in college, there was one course I took that I, I'll never forgive. It was a study of eschatology and a study of end times and what this looks like. And, and this does tie back, by the way, to the manger as to why Jesus came. And uh, there are three primary motivations in all of our lives that, that cause us or drive us or make, we make decisions by. One is, uh, is, is pain. Many people are moved by pain. Matter of fact, if you have back problems, toothache, whatever, that pain will drive you to do something to get rid of that pain. Some people medicate it. Some people go to the root cause of it. But pain moves us. The second thing that moves us is pleasure. And, and not that that's a bad thing, but if you're only moved by pleasure, you're typically unhappy when you're not experiencing pleasure. But the greater thing is purpose. And this is what I want to talk about. God had a very specific purpose for sending Jesus into the world. If you grew up in a religious home, a religious background, uh, we often perceive Jesus to be the judge, the mean guy, the guy that came to say, okay, you're going to either get it right or go to hell. That is the perception many religious people have of God, is that that he really isn't a benevolent, loving God. He's a God that said it's either my way or the highway or no way. And the reality is God loved us so much, he said, I want to enable you, empower you to be able to walk my way and the way. That was the purpose of God. Matter of fact, Jesus didn't come. How many of you know you don't, you're not sitting, sitting up at the right hand of God and God says we got to do something to restore the relationship with mankind? Jesus goes, hey, I got an idea. Why don't I go suffer miserably on the cross among a miserable people? No, it's like God says, okay, we want to restore him. Jesus said, I'll go, and my purpose is to seek and save that which is lost. Now, if you come from a religious background, you don't see Jesus that way. At least I didn't. Growing up, I thought Jesus was ticked off, and I thought the only way I was going to go to heaven if I got the right lotto number. Because every week, the preacher told us exactly how bad we were, how miserable we were, and how unworthy we were. And I'm not mad at that preacher. He did the best he could. But I remember thinking, why would I go to church? I'm going to go to hell anyway. And y'all aren't happy, so it, it, there's got to be something else. So I, rather than finding my purpose, I started seeking for pleasure. And the Bible says that sin has pleasure for a season. So it's, people act like sin's not fun. Sin's a freaking blast. <laughs> for a season. Now, you know, this would be taken out of context. If I was a politician, this would be on Fox News tonight, CNN, and all the other networks. But what I'm saying is we, we lie to ourselves, and we say, you know, it really isn't fun. Well, you know, the consequences of it are not fun, but there is a season of pleasure there. Okay, so let's get real about that. But we have to realize that pleasure oftentimes overshadows the purpose for which we were born. Now, purpose will always bring with it pleasure, and it will also bring with it pain. Because the minute you have purpose like Jesus did, Jesus' great purpose got him crucified. But the Bible says he learned obedience through the things he suffered. So suffering and pain are not necessarily bad things if we approach them right. Pleasure is not a bad thing if we approach pleasure righteously. But the challenge is, is that most of the time we are looking to our good works to satisfy 
either a benevolent, loving God or an angry God. That's our fallen mentality. And so what I want to do is bring some clarity to this because when I got born again in 1977 at five years old, Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. <laughs> when I got born again, I did not understand he was a benevolent God. All I knew was I had heard enough sermons about going to hell that I decided I didn't want to go there. I wasn't really that excited about being with God forever, but I certainly was not excited about going to hell. How many of you know you're not excited about being with God forever if you perceive him to be a bad God? So, so I thought, well, I don't want to go to hell. So for the next three years, I got born again every Sunday. I don't know if any of you went to that kind of church, but I'm just telling you, every Sunday they preach something. And how many of you know six days between Sundays gives you a lot of opportunity to do wrong? And I took every opportunity. And so I, I, my, I didn't understand. I didn't know the love of God. I didn't understand how this was going to work. So back to this, this story of eschatology. If you go to um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, whenever a preacher read that that verse to me, it just freaked me out. It's like, can you imagine, like, just, just in that moment, like, being super high? And some of you in here get it. You know what I'm saying? You're like, yeah, wow, that'd be really far out like watching The Exorcist on Coke. Anyway, so I was talking about Coca-Cola. Y'all took that totally wrong. Anyway, but I'm just saying, the Bible is in and of itself somewhat, I mean, when you start trying to figure out that the the archangel and the trumpet of God and he'll come back on a white horse. I mean, think about that. Just just let your mind go there for a moment and and ask yourself, what in the world? Because the first time Jesus came, it was very subtle. It was very quiet. It was very private rather than a mansion. It's a manger. He's in obscurity. But the second time, it's getting ready to be a party. I mean, he is like blasting through the sky. So here you go. So some of you are like, oh, God, what, do I, you know, what do I need to do? Some of you are watching online going, whoa. It's all right. We'll get you there. That was me. I was the high guy. And, and, and so I, 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 I'm looking at Christians. I'm looking at God. I'm looking at church. And I'm, I'm trying to figure out how this all plays out and what I have to do. And I'm thinking I'm not good enough. I'll never be good enough because I'm just my personality type is, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not Clark Kent. I'm somewhere between Clark and Superman. But I'm neither. What a miserable place to live. <laughs> but, you know, the meek, mild guy, that's not me. I'm type A. I'm loud. I'm boisterous. I say things you're not supposed to say, but I say them anyway. And I don't mean to hurt anybody, but it's it just I just have fun in life. I'm that, I'm that guy. And, and I still cannot figure out why God called me to be a preacher because I'm that guy. <laughs> and some of you all come just to watch me flame out. <laughs> but, but when I got to know Jesus and I quit getting saved every Sunday, my life got happy. Because what I realized was, it wasn't my works, it was his work and my acceptance of his work that gave me eternal 
security. Words you don't hear anymore. Because here's the reality. Most of us are not measuring our lives against his promises or his word. We're measuring our lives against people that we think are better than us or worse than us. Religious people do this all the time. Well, we're not as bad as they are. Well, well you know, I'm, I'm better than them. Or I can't possibly go to heaven because I could never live up to the standard that they are living. And so we, we entertain these thoughts. And don't tell me that you don't because everybody... I mean, listen. We're so bad we even sin in our sleep. Come on, man. You've had dreams before. You like wake up going, my God, forgive me. <laughs> and, and you don't even want to tell God what you dreamed like he doesn't know. You're afraid to even pray. God, here's what I dreamed last night. Now, just shut up. God, you know what it was, and you know I didn't mean it. <laughs> you see, once you get to know Jesus, and, and you really get to know God, the things that used to scare you don't scare you anymore because you understand that everything about God is love. Matter of fact, he doesn't love us. He is love, so therefore, who he is is enveloping who we are and who we're not. He just loves us. Now, if you're religious, you're irritated at me right now because you think I'm licensing you to sin, which happened the day you were born. Your sin was... You are a sinner. Babies right now born in the hospital, they're so cute. No, they're just six pounds, eight ounces of sin. And if you've got really big babies, it's even worse. Ten pounds, six ounces of sin. The bigger the baby, the more the sin. Oh, they're so cute. No, they're getting ready to poop and not thank you. They're going to wake up at two and say, <laughs> selfish, feed me. Now, don't get me wrong. I love them. God loves them. But the reality is this is mankind. This is who we are. And somehow we grow up and we're still going. <laughs> and we try, to, we try to somehow justify our behavior when in reality there's no justification except through Christ. This is why there are two different things, justification, sanctification. And here's the difference. Religious people use works or sanctification to justify their salvation. Well, I've been good. I've gone to church. I've served on the demon, I mean the deacon board. I've done everything I'm supposed to do. And these are the people that the minute somebody gets saved like myself, that it, you, know, you live a pretty hard life, and then you get saved and you die, they get mad that you got saved and you died. Because you got to have fun and they didn't. I can't believe it. They live like the devil. They can't possibly be going to heaven. Well, well <laughs> I'm happy for anybody that's going to heaven. I don't care who you are, what you've done, where you've been. You get happy. God is happy. When people get born again, he looks and says, I don't care how bad their life was. I gave my life for their life. And, and getting to heaven, folks, really, you've heard me say it before, getting to heaven is the easy part. I am really irritating religious demons today. <laughs> well, how can it be easy? Because religious people will go, how can it be easy? Well, because... God knew how stupid we were and that there would be no hope that we could possibly, we couldn't even keep Ten Commandments. 
Some of y'all think you're keeping 10. You've already blown three of them today. here's the problem we try to justify ourselves by our behavior our works and we can't we cannot do that and so as a result of it we keep we just either keep getting arrogant and prideful thinking we're so good i'm so good and i'm going to heaven because i i served on boards i volunteered i fed the hungry i did all these things but you don't get to go to heaven because of that there will be some mean people Going to heaven. Now, once they cross over, it's not going to be bad. I just, I know this is probably a horrible thing to say, but, you know, some of y'all don't think anybody hates you. Matter of fact, some of y'all think everybody likes you. You're deceived. You think, well, everybody loves me. And so, but my goal, my hope would be that, that, out of a hundred, you know, if, if there's a busload of a hundred, Jesus is coming up, you know, he's picking us up. I want to get on a bus where 99 people don't like me. Then I want to get off the bus and go, hey, dudes, we're here, and I'm going in. I, I, I know that's wrong but that's what I'm thinking, and God knows it, so I might as well just share it with you. Some of you feel better already. Well, I'm not as bad as him. There you go, religious people. I gave you a great opportunity to be stupid. Anyway, so, so what happens is, in 1 Thessalonians, this is, the, this is the scripture you don't want to be. Let me find it here. It's here somewhere. There we go. Okay. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we are still alive and left. will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Now, that used to freak me out when a preacher, when, if a preacher ever said, turn to the book of Revelation. I was like, oh, God, I'm out. Or dragons and all kinds of freaky stuff but it's really not freaky god is revealing his authority his power his grace his mercy all of these things to us to let us know how much he loves us now the big question is well so then how does this work how does this play out down the road what what happens well it's, it's easy to go to heaven it's difficult to get heaven to earth this is the challenge when Jesus said, pray, be it done on earth as it is in heaven, very few of us pray that because that's a prayer that we all memorized in Sunday school. We didn't realize the power of that prayer. Be it done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, God, every bit of love, every bit of grace, every bit of mercy, everything that you have, let it be done on earth as it is in heaven because right now we're miserable. I was miserable. I, I wanted to die when I was 20. I couldn't figure out how to do it. I didn't want to kill myself, but I didn't want to live. And, and so, I, because the reason I didn't want to live was because all I'd ever heard was hellfire and brimstone and how bad we are and how, how awesome, not wonderful, but how awesome God was and how awesome God is. And as a result of that, I, I, did, I couldn't find my way because nobody, nobody preached grace. Nobody told me that, that God's grace and God's power and God's love far exceeded any sin that I could ever commit in my life. 
And trust me, I've needed it all of my life. And, and, and I realized in, in, in 2014, when all hell broke loose in my life, and I no longer had a voice, I lost my family, I lost everything in that year, that I had a real tough decision to make after serving God for all those years that I was so depressed that I really literally would get on airplanes every week and put my hand on the outside and pray they'd crash. It was the story of my life. I was flying all over the world. I'd, I'd be on a plane from Dubai to Beijing to Johannesburg, wherever. And, and you'd think, well, this is a wonderful life. It was miserable. And so when all of that came crumbling down, one of the greatest moments in my life was that moment. Because I think I got caught up in what I was doing for God instead of what God was doing for me. God loved me too much. And he still loves me too much. To let me think for one minute that I am good enough to go to heaven. And that as a pastor that you're perceived to have to have everything together and everything's got to be right and you got to do right and you got to always be right. You're in the wrong church if you're looking for that pastor. Trust me, I can make you feel real good about who you are. Because I still have issues when I drive in the state of Oklahoma. I'm telling you, there are more morons with a license than qualified people. And the fact that I call people morons, some of you think, oh my God, he's going to hell. Then you would be one of those morons. <laughs> Thank you. I, I am not in any way trying to trample God's grace, be an appreciative God. All I'm saying is, that I find myself thinking sometimes thoughts that I have no idea where they came from. Are any of you like that? Oh, you're so sweet. There were a bunch of people at 930. But I, I just find myself in that, this battle, this constant battle. And then I read, I read this. It, it, listen, I can't even get to this today. I really wanted to talk to you about the, the judgment uh, of the believer but I'm going to start with the judgment, yeah, the judgment of the believer. I'm going to talk about rewards at another time. In the first judgment, the sins of believers have already been judged in Christ on the cross. So if you are in Christ, the Bible says there is therefore now no more condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean there's no more consequence. It just means there's no more condemnation. There will always be consequences for sin. But God's not the one punishing us. We punish ourselves by making choices that contradict what he told us to do. The trouble in our world today is people who are I'm really trying. Liberal people don't believe that there ought to be consequences for stupid behavior. Well, we should have grace. I have grace. But if you're, if you're going 95 in a 25, you probably deserve a ticket. Well, no, I don't, because there were 10 other people in front of me going the same speed. Yeah, but you're the idiot that got caught. Well, not really the idiot, but kind of. No, I've always laughed at that. Well, you know, everybody else is doing it. Well, everybody else jumping off a cliff, are you going to? You're, maybe you're the one that got saved. Maybe you ought to be thanking the officer. Every time I've ever got a ticket, I thank the officer. A little bit of it's sucking up, but most of it's true. 
Matter of fact, if they ever ask you how fast you're going, give them five over, and they might go, wow, you really are. You need, you need help because <laughs> you're not helping yourself. But I, I just, all I'm saying is we have an issue with our sin. We have an issue. We feel shame. We feel guilt. And the reality is what feels like shame to you is going to produce liberty in somebody else. If you don't feel the liberty to share your flaws, you're not helping people who have flaws. If all we do is stand up and tell people how great we are, you know, I used to get up and pray every morning at 5 a.m., and it became a religious activity. I don't even think God showed up for prayer, at least mine, because I was showing up. So I could, when I went to church, I was working. I, I got up at 5 a.m. I, I pray every morning at 5 a.m. You know what I was really saying is I'm better than you. If you don't pray at 5 a.m. every morning, you don't pray an hour, you don't tarry for an hour, you're not as good as me. And this is what religion does. It gets us to measure how good we are versus how bad everybody else is. And I'm not going to heaven because I'm better than any of you, because I'm not better than any. Matter of fact, sometimes you probably ought to be up here preaching. Don't shout amen and try to take it, because I'll pour Red Bull on you. You'll go rings and fly out of here. <laughs> But here's, here's, here's the reality. We all, if we all knew, if we could all just for a moment know how much God loves us, that we would not live. Religious people use works to justify their salvation. Justified and faith people use salvation as a platform for their works. So when I was going through my tough time, I'd lost my platform. I, I was no longer preaching. I was on a hiatus for two years almost. I was having a moment where I, I, I began to have a little bit of a pity party. Not that any of you all have ever had one of those. Woe is me. Poor me. I'm the only one in the world ever been treated like this. And one morning I, I was awakened to this idea of what Christianity really was. It wasn't about Mark Crow preaching and waxing eloquent, which has never been a problem with me because I've never been successful at it. But it wasn't about me communicating. It, it was about me loving. And I'm not sure that in the midst of all of that, that I loved the way God loved. And I knew I needed to love the way God loved. And that it wasn't about a great sermon. It wasn't about great music. It was about great love. You could bring me to any church that loved people, and the music could be decent, and the preaching could be okay. But if I'm around people that I feel loved by and people that I love, I want to be there. And I woke up one morning realizing that I had based my faith and my Christianity to a large degree on my profession instead of my relationship. And I began to get up, and I would go to McDonald's, and I would drive up to the window, and I would get all the cheeseburgers and hamburgers they had. And these homeless people had no idea who I was, where I'd been, ever been on TV, ever been to a big church. Nothing. They didn't know that. They didn't care. They were just hungry. And I began passing out hamburgers and never even talking about Jesus. And the reason I did that was I felt like maybe they could see Jesus in the action versus hearing him in my words. And it began to transform my life, and it began to change how I saw whatever days I would have remaining. It changed everything for me. And I know that the crowds are different, people are different, but I think the world is really sick and tired of slick and polished. 
I'm tired of sick, slick and polished. I am not polished, and I am far from slick, and I say things from the stage that most pastors will never say, and I'm not saying that boastfully, but I think it's time that we stand up and start saying what needs to be said instead of what we think. Because right now the world's going to hell in a handbag, and we don't want to acknowledge it, and I'm going to acknowledge it, and I'm just going to tell you this. I'm going to keep speaking the language that the world understands because they don't understand Christianese, and there's not a book out there for it. But there is something that people understand. The hopeless want hope. The hungry want food. The hated want love. And let me just tell you something. We come to buildings, and, and we do all the right things and say all the right things inside the building, but once we leave here, what are we really doing? Changed my life. Matter of fact, I got to the point where I didn't even ever want to preach again. I was living on an island, and how many of you know, that's not a bad place to be. And I had no plans to ever come back here. And you know what? I didn't care if anybody ever heard me again. I didn't care if anybody ever showed up again. What I cared about was this. I realized that I had fallen in love with Jesus that I had talked about for many years. I loved him, but I had never fallen in love with him. And there is a difference in loving and falling in love. And I want us to fall in love with Jesus, not because we might go to hell if we don't. But honestly, I can tell you this today, and I think with a clear, clean heart, I would love Jesus even if I was going to go to hell because of everything he did for me. That's how much I love him. If he never did another thing for me, if he never rescued me from my own sin, from all the bad things I've done, I am in love with Jesus. I'm not in love with the season. I'm not in love with holidays. I'm in love with Jesus. I realize in my life, as a Christian, I'm justified by him, and I use that as a platform for the work that I now do. Judgment of the believer. You're already judged if you've examined yourself. The Bible says examine yourselves to see if your faith is really genuine. Test yourselves. If you cannot tell that Jesus Christ is among you, it means you have failed the test. Jesus is among us. He said, I'll never leave you, never forsake you. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time. If you sin in Midwest City, he knows what's going on in Edmond. It's not like God went, oh, I, I guess I missed that. I don't know where I was. He was right there with you. I have random thoughts all the time. It's just so bizarre. I'll look and say, I just, I just had a moment, you know. And it doesn't freak me out anymore because I know that we all have those moments. You see, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, to steal your faith, to steal your hope, to steal your peace, to steal all those things. And he can't steal those if your focus is not on those. See, most of us are focused on not sinning. Well, whatever you're focused on is probably what you're going to do. So if you're trying to be good and say, I don't want to do that, I don't want to be bad, I don't to, then your focus is in the wrong way. I'm focused on I'm going to love Jesus and I'm going to love people. And I'm still going to do some bad things, but that's not my focus. My focus is on him. My focus used to be on I've got to do good. I can't do that. I can't do this. I can't, can't smoke, drink, cuss, or chew, or date women who do. And all of these things were a distraction keeping me from waking up every day and just saying, Jesus, I love you.
but I know everything I do today will not reflect that love. I wish it would, but it doesn't reflect it. Even at night, I wake up sometimes and go, why am I having that thought? Why do I so desperately want to see that person suffer? Come on, come on. We all have that person in our life that we just would love to be there when it all goes down. Yeah, let's get real. Come on. Don't sit there and go, well, preacher, I can't believe you're saying that. You're thinking it. We're thinking it. No, when somebody hurts you, it's not like, oh, do it again. Please, hit me. Make me suffer. No, it's like, <laughs> in the name of Jesus, I pray, oh, Lord, that vengeance is yours. Please sick them. And the second part of that prayer is, let me see it. it so but at least I'm honest about it now used to I would never tell you and I would never tell God <laughs> like he didn't already know he's sitting there going okay go ahead and say it I'm a mind reader a man by the name of Brenham wrote this book and a friend of mine penned this he said Brenham's ragamuffin life was a living testimony that horizontal consequences for sin cannot forfeit the no condemnation that is ours in Christ his sins this man who wrote the book caused untold miseries in his life and in the lives of others but the depths of his many failures were survivable only because of his wonder at God's unfailing forgiveness he understood that trusting God's forgiveness in the face of our craziness is not an abuse of grace, but rather a God-honoring acknowledgement of His grace. The certain pardon of God was His hope, His lifeline. Unable to bank anything on Himself, He banked everything on Jesus. In this sense, His well-documented faults were given a gift given to Him, and to us. He went on to say, in a futile attempt to erase our past, we deprive the community of our healing gift. If we conceal our wounds out of fear and shame, our inner darkness can neither be illuminated nor become a light for others. Your greatest failure may be the brightest light to somebody else's future if that failure is addressed in a redemptive way. I may never preach to as many people as I've preached to in years past, but I can promise you the impact that I have today is far greater than every sermon I've ever preached. Because the world from here to Africa knows about my failings. Some of y'all get to do it in secret. Mine was publicized in Europe. The continent of Africa. I went around the world. <laughs> and the devil would have loved for me to stay in a closet of shame and act like it never happened and hope you didn't find out. But I stand before you today, not out of pride, but out of grace and forgiveness, understanding the power of God. <laughs> and nobody will ever take that away. Because what I've realized is... What happened to me as a result of my own choosing was not the punishment of God. Matter of fact, what happened to me was the grace of God. He loved me too much, 
and he cared too much. And little did I know what I was and was not thinking, what I was and was not being. But God did. And when I surrendered my life to him, I gave him permission to allow anything to happen that needed to happen to draw me closer to him. And some of you have beat yourself up. You've been divorced. You've made mistakes. You've done all these things. And you keep going back to that. And I would say to you, don't you dare quit. You stand up and you hold your shoulders back and say, I'm a growing, learning Christian that will never quit. You are not a failure. You are a person that understands the grace of God. People who stay in their shame and refuse to rise up and illuminate the hurts and the the, the problems of others to help shine light of hope into their life, you miss it. Your failing may be the very thing that props somebody else up and says it's going to be okay. That's how much we trust the cross of Christ and the grace of God. Religious people want to keep you down. They want to condemn you. They want to shame you the rest of your life. You're not worthy. You're not good. I had people tell me you should never preach again, to which I wanted to say things that only are said in nighttime bar rooms. I wanted to, I wanted to go Fonzie on them. But I'm not going to stand before those people on the day of judgment. I'll stand before Jesus Christ, and I can promise you he will look at me and say, Mark Anthony Crow, my favorite son. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And if you have trouble with that, you're religious. Because that's what he's going to say to everyone who believes in him. Not everybody who's been perfect, never had a problem, never had a sin, never committed... That's not it. This is about our faith in him saying, I refuse in my humanity and my failings to stop believing that the cross is greater than my sin. You want some hope for Christmas? You won't get a better package under the tree than this kind of hope right here. Trust me. Christmas holidays get tough because everybody has a knucklehead in their family. If you don't, you're lying or on drugs. You're going to have an opportunity this holiday season to rise up above all of that and realize that the person that has been a thorn in your flesh is a gift from God. A gift from God. The Apostle Paul said, please take it away three times. And God said, no, my grace is sufficient. My power is perfected in your weakness. I'm not suggesting you go run into a thorn bush today. But I am suggesting that whenever there is a thorn, there is a problem, that you realize God has not abandoned you. And that whatever that moment, that moment was a turning point for me when I realized this was not about Mark Crow preaching. This was about Mark Crow loving. And that preaching may be an act of love, but it's not love itself. The only reason I'm back here is because I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and I really love you. the hardest thing about being loved is realizing none of us deserve it but God thinks we do that's why he sent Jesus you deserve to be loved I don't care what you did last week last night last month I don't care what you've done your whole life God loves you and if you can accept that if you can accept that just maybe you'll love him back but I found the hardest thing for me wasn't to love God 
hardest thing for me was to believe that God could love me. That after 20 years of serving in this city, making a big mistake, that God could still love me. And I can promise you, most of you have never blown it like I have, and maybe you never will. And I hope you don't, because there's a big lesson and price to be paid. But I do know this. I have never felt the love of God any greater than I feel right now. Because in the midst of all of my mess-ups, people say, what were you thinking? When, what, what, what was it like? I said, in the darkest hour, I never felt closer to God than I did in those hours because he refused to let go of me. He refused to abandon me. He refused. And every time I stood up to preach, it was like he was holding me tighter and I could feel his presence. God will never leave you and he'll never forsake you. So please don't leave him. Don't forsake him. Understand, we are justified only by his work and our faith in it. That's it. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for loving us, staying with us. We don't get to go to heaven because we're good. We get to go to heaven because we believe. So, Lord, thank you that this holiday season, may we have a greater revelation of why you came to seek and save that which was lost. Thank you for finding us. Thank you for finding us. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to pray a simple prayer that will make a profound difference in your life as you believe in Him. The Bible says, all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I want to ask you to pray this prayer with me, everyone. Some of you are watching online right now, and you're dreading Christmas already. you got kids in other states. you got an ex-spouse who hates your guts, and you're fighting, hating them back. You don't like your job. Life's not worth living. At least that's what you've said. I've got good news for you. Life is worth living without anybody or anything as long as you've got Jesus. Then he'll make everything right. So don't give up. Don't quit. Pray this with me. Say, Father God, thank you so much for sending your only son to die for me. Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. Today I give my life to you. I repent of my sin. I call on your name. And I thank you for loving me. Today, I declare my love for you. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I want to ask you to simply text the word SAVED to 405-500-1310. Just text the word SAVED to that number. This is not, you're already saved. But what you're doing is you are communicating that. And, and I will say this, the minute you tell some people that you've given your life to Jesus, they will criticize you and they will condemn you. One of my very best friends grew up in a non-Christian home. And in high school, great athlete, went on to play college ball. His family abandoned him. He said, if you're going to believe in that Jesus, get out of the house. He got out of the house his senior year. But he kept believing, came back and led every one of his family members to Jesus before his parents died. Let me tell you, God's going to use you as a light in a dark place. So don't don't give up. Don't give up.
Hello, this is Pastor Mark Crow. I just want to take a quick moment to thank you for joining us online. We hope you have a blessed week this week and get to be a blessing to those around you. I want to invite you to join us at Mosaic Church OKC next week at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. or join us online. God bless you.